Amen. Well, let's turn together to the Psalms once again and turn to Psalm 136. Psalm 136. We have been looking at this psalm over the last couple of weeks, and this morning we are going to consider the subject of O Give Thanks for His Strong Hand of Redemption. O Give Thanks for His Strong Hand of Redemption. If you would, go with me to verse number 10. The Bible says, "...to him that smote Egypt and their firstborn, for his mercy endureth forever, and brought out Israel from among them, for his mercy endureth forever." With a strong hand and with a stretched out arm, for his mercy endureth forever. To him which divided the Red Sea into parts, for his mercy endureth forever. And made Israel to pass through the midst of it, for his mercy endureth forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his mercy endureth forever. To him which led his people through the wilderness, for his mercy endureth forever. To him which smote great kings, for his mercy endureth forever. And slew famous kings, for his mercy endureth forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, for his mercy endureth forever. And Og, the king of Bashan, for his mercy endureth forever. And gave their land for a heritage, for his mercy endureth forever. Even an heritage unto Israel his servant, for his mercy endureth forever. Who remembered us in our low estate, for his mercy endureth forever. And hath redeemed us from our enemies, for his mercy endureth forever. Who giveth food to all flesh, for his mercy endureth forever. O give thanks unto the God of heaven, for his mercy endureth forever. Obviously, we've learned that this psalm is about giving thanks for the mercy of God. And of course, when we think about God's mercy, we think about a mercy that certainly does endure. It is an enduring mercy. We learned all the way back in the first portion of this psalm that we are to give thanks. And it's an exhortation that is given to us in the first three verses. Oh, give thanks. I would say to us this morning that the giving of thanks to God is the very least we can do. It's the very least we can offer. We ought to freely give these words and praises of thanksgiving. The psalmist here, again, is calling us to praise Almighty God for His goodness to us. Also, to praise God for His greatness of the power that He has demonstrated towards His people. While we are certainly thankful for those which God puts in our life. We're thankful for our families. We're thankful for all that God gives us. We ought to be especially grateful for our Heavenly Father. We ought to be grateful for our Father in Heaven, who we are the recipients of His marvelous grace. We have learned throughout this study that He is good. In other words, He's not just good sometimes. He is essentially good. He is not just kind and merciful at times. He is eternally kind. All of these things that God does is good. Whatever God does in this world, whatever God accomplishes, it is good. It is righteous. He alone is good in the highest sense of the term good. 
not in the human term of just being middle of the road, not great, not poor, but good. But good, when it is used to describe God, is the highest sense of perfection. Uh, when God is called good, He is called perfect. And we see that He deserves our constant gratitude, and He certainly deserves our praise. Every verse of the psalm, which we have already indicated, ends with, for his mercy endureth forever. This is repeated to remind us, and we can never say it once, and only once. We should say it often. We should think often on his mercy. Every time we think of God's goodness, we should think of his mercy endureth forever. I hope you can't read a portion of scripture anymore without saying, for his mercy endureth forever. Because every page of the scriptures demonstrate to us God's mercy. You can read a portion of scripture anywhere and say, his mercy endureth forever. What a song this is. The sweetest, most pleasant song a person can sing is about a song of mercy. We began our service by singing that hymn that we've begun to learn and know so well Merciful God. Mercy endures forever. We need it. We ought to desire it. We ought to pray for it. But we certainly ought to forever and ever sing about it. You know, lots of things in our world are changing. Lots of things around us are continuing to change. But His mercy stays the same. His mercy endures forever. There's no change in him. He's not changing because society is changing. He's not changing his purposes and his plan no matter what man does. He's not changing the essence of who he is. Give thanks. We learned under the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. Give thanks unto the Lord. Those first nine verses told us that we ought to meditate upon the mercy of God and how we need it each and every day. And we ought to be praying and singing about it. In verse number 10, we begin to see the psalmist now begins to go through a bit of a historical account of God's goodness towards the people of Israel. You'll notice that he mentions what happened in Egypt. Of course, this is a reference back to the time when they were in slavery for those many years. And we know that how God had sent the plagues upon Pharaoh and the Egyptian people, and he would not let God's people go. But it was on that final plague about the death of the firstborn, when the death angel came through the camp, and whoever did not have the blood applied to the doorposts and across the top, the death angel uh, took the firstborn in those homes. And the Egyptians, of course, lost many of their firstborn. But you'll notice that even in God's action towards Egypt, that phrase, His mercy endureth forever, it was a mercy that was being demonstrated towards the people of Israel. Then he goes on and he makes mention of bringing Israel from among them. It Ultimately, that final plague let left Pharaoh saying, you can go. But of course, we know the story that as they left, it wasn't long after they had been on their way, Pharaoh, in a wicked change of mind, decides I'm going to pursue after them. 
And it's verse 12 that shows us how God handled that situation. Of course, God was not taken by surprise in this in any way, shape, or form, but it says, with a strong hand and with a stretched out arm, for his mercy endureth forever. What did he do with that strong hand? What did he do with that stretched out arm? We see in verse 13 that he divided the Red Sea into parts. For his mercy endureth forever. He performed what many say is one of the great miracles that God ever performed. He parted this great body of water. And we know the critics and the skeptics all throughout history have tried every way they can to try to lessen or deny the reality of that miracle. Now, some going as far as to say that there was only a few inches at that time of year of the Red Sea that was really no grand miracle. But yet we see that it was with God's strong hand and stretched out arm. We believe what the Bible says, that he divided the Red Sea, this great body of water. And notice that as a result of his strong hand, as a result of his, his stretched out arm, he made Israel to pass through the midst of it. And again, for his mercy endures forever. But notice what he did with Pharaoh. He overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. Again, for his mercy endures forever. We should stop and take note for a moment, not only the acts of the Lord, but the manner in which he performed these acts. We ought to consider what did he use to perform these acts. He used his own strong arm. He used his own stretched out hand and arm. Yes, Moses, we know he was God's appointed man, but it was not the power of Moses that delivered the people. It was not even the power that was found in the staff. It was the power of God's hand. The power of God's stretched out arm. In the book of Exodus, we see the power and glory of God certainly on display. We see the enemy, Egypt, being crushed into pieces with his right hand. We see him leading forth his people through the Red Sea. And we know that he brings them forth on the other side. It's interesting that in the book of in the, of the other psalm, Psalm 105, we won't read all of this, but if you want to turn back there, the psalmist in Psalm 105 also makes mention of these powerful acts of God. In verse 1 of that psalm, it says, O give thanks unto the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people, sing unto him. Sing psalms unto him. Talk ye of all his wonderful, wondrous works. Go down to verse 5. Remember his marvelous works that he hath done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. Look at verse 8. He hath remembered his covenant forever, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations. Look at verse 26. He sent Moses his servant and Aaron whom he had chosen. 28, he sent darkness and made it dark, and they rebelled not against his word. Of course, verses 29 through 36 go through the plagues. But then we see again, as we just saw in our Psalm 136, he smote also all the firstborn in their land, the chief of all their strength. He brought them forth also with silver and gold, and there was not one feeble person among them. He's talking about bringing forth the people of Israel, and they were provided for. But then I noticed this early this morning, and I, I have to say I never really made this connection as much as it did this morning. Egypt was glad when they departed, for the fear of them fell upon them. 
Notice with God's strong hand and his outstretched arm, Egypt became frightened that Israel's presence, were they afraid of Israel? No, they were afraid of Israel's God. They were glad when they were gone because they realized that the power and the presence of God was with them. Look at verse 42, for he remembered his holy promise and Abraham his servant. He brought forth his people with joy and his chosen with gladness and gave them the lands of the heathen and they inherited the labor of the people that they might observe his statutes and keep his laws. Praise ye the Lord. Again, Psalm 105 gives us a great reminder again of his strong hand. God displayed his omnipotent power. He displayed his goodness. He delivered the people of Israel all passed through on dry ground. He, in fact, as we'll deal with in just a moment, he did redeem them. Now, the rest of the narrative goes on about how they, as Israel got into the wilderness and on their journeys to the promised land, that God uh, slew famous kings. He took out these powerful rulers who thought that they could uh, destroy the people of Israel. One of the, uh, the great accounts is the account of Sihon and Og, the king of Bashan. If you're not familiar with this, you'll recall that they, they had tried to hire Balaam to pronounce a curse on Israel. And Balaam kept trying to pronounce a curse. And instead of pronouncing a curse, he was pronouncing a blessing upon them. Proving yet again that God can even use the wickedness of man and can turn it for his glory. Even when man looks like he's going to commit evil acts, God says, no, my strong hand and my stretched out arm will not be denied. As we saw, it took 10 plagues, of course, for, Israel, for Egypt to finally say, your people may go. But remember, God uses his hand and his arm this extraordinary power is what gives us the promise of His mercy. He divided it into parts. God's works should be thought upon often. In the book of Exodus, we see the great power of Almighty God. And each and every one of us see God's power in our deliverance. We see how God has delivered us from the pathway of sin. We see how God has redeemed a people for Himself. Egypt as a type of sin throughout the Scriptures. We see God's people being delivered from Egypt and we as God's people also being delivered from the power and the penalty of sin. Ephesians 1.20 tells us, according to the working of His mighty power which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand, in the heavenly places. He has delivered us from the power and the slavery of sin. We ought to think often upon the great power of God. And then thirdly, this morning, notice we see beginning in verse 23, beautiful words, who remembered us in our low estate for His mercy endureth forever, and hath redeemed us from our enemies, for His mercy endureth forever. We understand that in the immediate context that the Jewish people, the Israelites, certainly were thankful that God remembered them. How did God remember them? What state were they in? They were in a low estate. That means Egypt brought Israel very, very low. 
Egypt was brought to its lowest point. They were brought to the place where uh, they, uh, in many ways, had become settled in Egypt. They had grown accustomed to the provisions of Egypt. We know that because when they get on the other side of the Red Sea, they begin to murmur and complain and say, would to God you'd have left us in Egypt because at least we had food there. Isn't it amazing that when we forget God, He still remembers His people? God had every reason in the world to turn His back upon those people, but God remembered the covenant He had made with them. Don't ever lose sight of the covenant of God. The God's covenants are what we can find great comfort in, knowing that He will not go back on His covenants. He's not going to go back on His covenants with Israel, and He's not going to go back on His covenants with His people. But that phrase, who has remembered us, he's remembered us also. Egypt and many other enemies throughout Israel's history brought the people low, but God by his strong hand and his stretched out arm delivered them. They were set free. You and I, if you know Christ today, you've been set free. But you were not set free without a cost. You were not set free without a price. There was a price that had to be paid. There was a power that needed to be exhibited. Notice he says, not only did he remember us in our low estate, for his mercy endureth forever, and hath redeemed us. Redeem means to buy, to purchase, to buy back. We understand that it was the price paid what our greatest enemy was is similar to what the greatest enemy of Egypt was, which was our greatest enemy of Israel, which was Egypt. Sin is our one great enemy. If we realize just what an abomination that sin is to God, and we thought often about what we've been delivered from, not just the eternal penalty of sin, but we've also been delivered for the present, from the present power that sin is supposed to have in our lives. We often emphasize, and maybe we rightly should, the eternal power to remove the wages of our sin. But it also was with the intent to remove the present power of sin in your life now. That's why Paul spoke so much about yield not your members to be servants of sin. Just like Israel, when they got on the other side of the Red Sea, didn't take them long. They wanted to go back. They wanted to go back into servanthood because they had forgotten what God had done for them. Sin is our enemy. We've been redeemed by the atoning blood of Christ. Satan, of course, is our enemy, but we know he is a defeated foe. We have been redeemed by the power of of the blood of Jesus Christ. We also know that this world is not our home. This world is not what we're living for. This world is simply a place where we are passing through in order to get to a heavenly, glorious kingdom where the Bible promises us that we will see our Savior. We'll see Him face to face. And how glorious that is but even more glorious, and we won't understand this until we get there. We will see him as he is, but we will be like he is, which means we will be without sin. The reality is we don't realize just how 
awful sin is. If we fully understood what sin is, we would understand God's mercy in an even deeper way. That's part of our problem. We don't understand sin deeply enough. Because if we understand, if He changes one bit in His mercy, we would all be doomed. His mercy is steadfast and eternal even when we willfully continue to sin. We are ransomed. We sang that hymn, My faith looks up to Thee. That when death comes for each one of us, the last words of that hymn are what? A ransomed soul. A soul that's been bought with a price. A soul that has been purchased not by your blood, not by your money, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, that was the purchase price to pay for your sin and my sin. No amount of good works that you could do, nothing that I could provide, would merit God's mercy. God, through Jesus Christ, has ransomed us. Christ has purchased our redemption. We should praise His name for that. Even in the death of Christ upon the cross, it was divine mercy and God's strong hand and His outstretched arm that was being shown. The world looks at the cross and says, what possibly good can come out of a man being slain upon a, such a cruel Roman cross. But yet what flowed down from the cross was streams of mercy. Flowing down. The cross is a place of mercy. It's not the wooden beams. It's He who hung upon that cross. Mercy flows from Him. What more could you and I possibly need today? What else more do we need to be reminded of how thankful we should be? We are thankful for God's, and we'll see this as we close this psalm in a moment, we're thankful for God's daily food. We're thankful for God's common providence. But think about all these things would be without any value at all if God's mercy had not been shown to us in redeeming our sinful, depraved souls. A full table at your home this week would mean nothing without the mercy of God's saving grace. All the possessions in the world would matter, have no value at all if it wasn't for God's saving mercy. But in spite of even that, we see that God in His common providence, and Israel understood this too, who giveth food to all flesh. God did this amazing thing when the people complained and they murmured. He gave them food. Imagine that. Even though they were murmuring and complaining and forgetting the God they said they loved, he still provided manna. He provided water. And yet every time they would continue to go back 
Not long after God provided them food and flesh and water to eat, the manna, they became sick of it. We're tired of this manna. Folks, if we're honest with ourselves this morning, isn't that just like us? We get so comfortable with what God's given and we say, God, I just need a little bit more. Listen, the provision that God gave was a provision that should have led them to return thanks for what he had done. They had watched God perform miracles. They had watched God part the Red Sea. They watched the manna come from heaven. They watched Moses the first time when he did it properly. When he spoke to the rock and the rock provided water. We do see the common providence of God here. He gives food to all flesh. Common providence which cares for even the birds and the trees. Think about that for a moment. The common providence for even all living creatures. Even that deserves our utmost praise and thanksgiving. That everything around us is being sustained and upheld by what? By His strong hand and stretched out arm. You realize today the sky is being held up by His strong arm. It's not science. It's not mankind. It's Almighty God. Man would say, I'm a self-made man. If God removed His common providence from off of the earth, there would be nothing for man to make. There would be nothing for man to provide with. God's providence, we ought to be thankful for it. It is also a demonstration of His mercy. If we think even in spiritual terms, the word food, it's not just, it's not just earthly food He has in mind here. The psalmist is also talking about our spiritual food. David, in his, some of his psalms, would make uh, this word picture that he said, I desire your word more than my necessary food. Do you desire God's word like that today? Or are you more looking forward to a temporal feast on Thursday? You ought to desire God's word much more than anything that may be on a Thanksgiving table. Although we're thankful for it, that's not the ultimate reason to return thanks to God it's because of the saving of our soul through the spiritual food of his word and God providentially and sovereignly brought the word to you you did not go seeking it there is none that go seeking after God all throughout redemptive history we see God even using the most wicked of people to provide his word I heard this morning a sermon I was listening to and I was so amazed by the question. The pastor, the preacher asked the question. He says, do you know what country produces the most copies of Holy Scripture? And he opened it up to the audience and they began guessing and some guessed the United Kingdom, some guessed the United States. And he said, nope. He said, the number one producer of copies of the Holy Scriptures is China. 18 million copies of the Word of God go out of that country every single year. It's by one little company and there are 60 employees. What amazes me more than anything is the irony in the fact that that is one of the most restrictive 
and persecuting countries of Christians, yet God is using that nation to send out the Word of God. 18 million copies of the Word of God goes out every single year by 60 employees who may have no idea what they're doing. You know why China's doing it? Because of the prophet. You know why God's doing it? For the Word of God to continue to go forth. Those who say God can't use evil in the world to accomplish His purposes, He's done it all throughout Scripture. He's used wicked kings. He's used wicked rulers. He's used false prophets. God's Word will not return void. I was so excited about that when I heard that this morning. I said, what an amazing truth that is. That God, His strong arm and His outstretched hand, they are never restricted. God feeds not only earthly but spiritually the universal goodness of God. That is certainly worthy of our praise because He gives us our very life and because He has promised to provide for us, we ought to be thankful. His mercy endures forever. Don't ever lose sight of the fact that it was not us ascending up to God, but it was God condescending to us. He reached down for us. And by the way, when He reached down for you, you were not reaching up and meeting Him in the middle. He reached His arm down to you. Not because of your worthiness, not because of your value, but because of His mercy. Which continually, just like Paul said, we only have one way and one person we can boast in, and that's in the cross of the person of Jesus Christ. It is a boundless, eternal mercy. Even though the object that is displayed that mercy is displayed to is not worthy of it. Folks, I'm not trying to be discouraging today. I hope as you're a child of God, you're encouraged today. But don't ever get to the, part, the, the place in your life when you say, well, I'm worthy of God's mercy. I've earned it. I'm one of God's best. I'm one of God's choice servants. No, we are just objects of grace. Sinners saved by grace. Sinners who continue to sin. Sinners that even though we praise God with our mouth, we give thanksgiving to God, sometimes our hearts are prone to wander away. And even when we hear the Word of God, our hearts are being pulled and we're wandering away because there's that continual battle. This last verse, he says, Oh, give thanks unto the God of heaven. This title is a title of majestic honor. The Lord is God. In every realm, in heaven, His throne is set in glory above all else. There is not an enemy on this planet that can reach the throne of God and disrupt His purposes and His plan in any way, shape, or form. You say, but what about all the wicked and all the evil that's going on in this world? Isn't God being hindered? No. 
He's even taken the most wicked acts of men and he's turning it that his glory might be seen. That's why even in our lowest times, in our lowest state, in our days of affliction, we ought to be returning praise and thanks unto God. We ought never be people that are finding ourselves ungrateful. There is no place for a believer in Jesus Christ to ever be ungrateful. We say, well, ungratefulness is not a sin. Scripturally, I'd beg to differ. Unthankfulness is a sin. Ingratitude is a sin. To treat God as something we should take for granted is sinful. Think about that everything that God has done, we think upon the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That is our preeminent reason for giving thanks unto the Lord. He's redeemed us. He has saved us. Not only is He taking care of us spiritually, but He takes care of us temporally. Every meal that you enjoy is by the hand of God. Every instance of grace in your life spiritually is by the hand of God. So I hope this morning we will certainly give thanks for God's strong hand of redemption. Let's pray together. Father, what can we say or do at this point other than just thanking You? We thank You for Your provision temporally. The Lord, more importantly, we thank You for what You have given to us spiritually. Redeeming our unworthy souls through the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Lord, I do pray that we would get a clearer view of your mercy. But Lord, I also realize that in order to see your mercy even more brightly, we have to be reminded and see a clearer view of our sin. When we see our sin as you see our sin, your mercy is no doubt magnified. It's exalted. It leads us to return praise. Because, Father, we realize that without mercy, we would be people without any hope. That even the best of earthly possessions would only be that, earthly and temporary. But Lord, you've given us such a greater gift. You've given your people the gift of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And may we return and give thanks unto the Lord for his goodness. Lord, we do pray that you'll bless this day, these times of worship we have together. Lord, may we never take a single minute that we're gathered together as this local church for granted. There is no promise of tomorrow. May we love one another. May we be thankful for the brethren. For it's in Christ's name I pray and ask these things. Amen. <laughs>